Thanks, Pete. What a hype, man. That's great, isn't it? Um, just before I dive in, uh, one other thing that I wanted to invite you to is on Sunday, the 5th of November, we've got our next Celebration Sunday happening where all three of our congregations meet together in one venue. Uh, and it's just a brilliant time where we worship God, hear some teaching, get to catch up with friends from across the church. And so um, if you haven't been to one of those before, I would just r recommend them to you because it's just a great, you get a great opportunity to just sense what's going on across the church. So that's Sunday the 5th of November. That's in three weeks' time. Importantly, it's at a new venue so we're not meeting at Abbey Wood School this time. We're meeting at Trinity Academy in Loch Lees. It is a snazzy building there. Um, and we went to look around, and it's going to serve us really well on that Sunday. So you don't have to sign up. You can just rock up. It's going to be at 10.30, Sunday the 5th of November. Remember, remember. Um, right. Uh, we're in a, a series called Follow Jesus. And... Uh, the way that we've been trying to describe this uh, series is by thinking about how we are to be, be with Jesus and by being with Jesus that we would become more like him and ultimately then we would do the things that Jesus did. That's the life that Jesus has called us to. And so you may have heard of the word uh, discipleship or being a disciple of Jesus and very simply that is to follow Jesus. Uh, and so we've been in this series for three weeks. Andy Cottingham, who leads City Church, kicked off the series uh, looking at when Jesus called fishermen to himself. And they, uh, he performed this extraordinary miracle where they'd been fishing all night and hadn't caught anything. And then Jesus says, why don't you let your nets down the other side of the boat? And they had this enormous catch. And it was both a miracle but also a teaching point in saying, I'm now going to make you fishers of people. And so these fishermen, their lives would be com completely transformed. They left their nets and followed Jesus. And then last Sunday, Ash uh, took us into Luke chapter 9, where Jesus makes this extraordinary call to his followers to take up their cross and follow him. That to be a follower of Jesus isn't this rosy fairy tale picture, but actually when you look at the life of Jesus who went, went through pain suffering, rejection, and death, but then ultimately resurrected, that as his disciples, we are also called to that kind of life. Which doesn't, you know, that's a hard one to understand and, and wrap your head around, but that is actually what many of us experience. In fact, we all experience so much of that. And Jesus is very real about our experience. He says, if you want to be my disciple, you're to take your cross up and you're to live for me. And so today we're going to look at another aspect of what it means to follow Jesus. And uh, we're going to be in John chapter 15. And we're going to read the first 11 verses. And really the question that I want us to consider is, how do we live full and fruitful lives as followers of Jesus? And I think these verses are going to give us real insight into that. Uh, so the words are going to appear on the screen as well. Uh, John chapter 15, starting in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. 
As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. The, the context of what Jesus is saying here is, is that it's, it's actually a Thursday evening. It's the Thursday evening of Holy Week or Passion Week, where at the start of the week, Jesus has entered Jerusalem, and he is... Uh, been hailed as the, the promised king, the Messiah, and he's entered Jerusalem. And at the end of the week, Jesus knows that he will be crucified. He will be arrested and tried and crucified on, on the Friday. And so this is the Thursday evening, and Jesus, knowing what is to come, has gathered his 12 disciples. In fact, uh, earlier on, before he talks about this, they, they share the Passover meal uh, and the, Lo- the Lord's Supper, as it's often known. And uh, in that meal, with the 12 disciples, as they're sharing it, and Jesus explaining what is about to happen, also in the midst of this story, there's this extraordinary moment where Jesus calls out Judas. Uh, and, and Judas was going to be the one who would betray Jesus, hand Jesus over to the authorities uh, for, for personal gain, really. Judas was doing it for, for financial gain. He was going to get paid to do it. And at the end of chapter 13, in that scene, when Judas is identified as the one who's going to hand Jesus over, it says that Judas went out. And I just want to, it's important, we're going to come back to it later in the story. But it's just important that that is the context that's just happened that one of the men that had been with Jesus for three years has been identified and then he, he leaves. And then Jesus is with, his, with 11 disciples and he goes into this teaching about what it means to follow him. And he starts with five words in verse one and uh, it, it kind of sets the tone for everything else. He says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. And uh, that is a really loaded image and picture uh, for those first century Jewish hearers. Uh, Because it wasn't really a new metaphor or picture. For those hearers, they would have been really familiar with the idea uh, of a vine. Because in the Old Testament, in the first part of the Bible, Israel, the people of God were described as a vine. 
they were described as a vine. If you, if you want to take some time out, you can read things like Psalm 80 that describes how God would pluck a vine out of Egypt and place it into a land that they would call their own, where under God's hand and protection and care, they would thrive and flourish. And that was talking about under the, under the leadership of Moses, how the Israelites had been in captivity and had been led out into the promised land. So they, so they knew this image about a, a true vine, of describing them as the people of God. And yet, in spite of that, Israel didn't thrive and flourish. They didn't follow the ways of God at all. And that is the story of Israel, generation after generation, that despite God's care and protection and nurture, they didn't do the things that God had called them to do. They didn't produce the sort of fruit that they were made to produce. In fact, in Isaiah, using the same image of the vine, said that they produced wild grapes. There was this disobedience amongst the people of God where they didn't produce the kinds of things that they were supposed to. And again, in Psalm 80, as you read this psalm towards the end, it, it talks about a son that would emerge from this vine, speaking of Jesus, the one who would live perfectly, that would obey the commands of his father. And so when Jesus says, I am the true vine, it's a moment where they're like, that, that is a significant thing to say. And, he, and essentially Jesus is saying, in me, the people of God will thrive and flourish. That the purposes and plans of God were to come originally through Israel, but now they're going to come through me, Jesus said. In effect, he's saying, where you have failed, I will not. I will be what you could not be and I will do what you could not do. I am the true vine. And that's the first five words of this teaching and the disciples are just processing everything that's going on. And they hear this and they're thinking, my word, what is happening? But it's huge because Jesus then goes on to use this image of the vine to describe both his relationship with his father, the vine dresser or the gardener. And then he also describes the branches. That, that is the disciples, that is us. And so he develops this picture. I am the vine, my father is the gardener, and you are the branches. And so I want us just to consider, what does it mean for us to be branches? I, know, I don't know if that was what you were expecting this morning, to consider yourself as a branch. But let's consider what it means to be a branch, i.e., what does it mean to be a true disciple of Jesus? And in the text, we see that that Jesus draws attention to two types of branches. If you look at verse 2 with me, it'd be handy to have it in front of you because we're going to refer to some verses uh, all the way through. And in verse 2, Jesus says, He, the gardener, the vine dresser, he, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Jesus is saying that there are branches that bear no fruit at all. And there are others that do, and they are pruned so that they would be more fruitful. And so I want us to think about what, what are these two scenarios that 
Jesus is describing here. What does, it, what does he say about them? How does that apply to us and help us to look to follow Jesus in our lives? So firstly, the branches that don't bear fruit. That's where Jesus goes first. And they bear no fruit because Jesus says they're not truly connected to the vine. They aren't doing what they were made to do. As we've already seen, the, the people of God in the Old Testament were described like a vine that, that failed to produce any fruit. And, and that's the story of the people of God in the Bible, that they consistently tried to live independently of God, going their own way, rejecting the commands and the ways of the Lord. And so the fruit that they were to produce which was to bring blessing both to them and to the nations around them. Well, that didn't happen. And so Jesus uses that same analogy of the vine to say these branches that aren't producing fruit are like people who, who have just disobeyed me, who have stepped away. In fact, I mean, it's interesting, is it? Jesus says, every branch in me. So there's, there's some kind of connection that the branch has with the vine. There's some kind of connection with Jesus that he's describing, but really it's a, it's a superficial association. It's a superficial connection. They're not truly in the vine. They're still ultimately living independently of God. There is no dynamic, real relationship with Jesus. And so in that sense, the branch doesn't produce the fruit that it was designed for. And, and Jesus uses pretty strong language, doesn't he? We can, we can pass over it, but Jesus uses very strong language to describe what happens to branches that don't produce fruit. It says they are cut off, thrown away, gathered up and thrown into the fire. We don't tend to like those bits of the Bible I'm not sure there's any other way of interpreting what Jesus is saying other than God's righteous judgment for those that don't follow him. It's not a popular thing to say in our modern society, is it? And even us, we're prov we can be provoked. When I was reading, I was like, do I really have to say this publicly? But, but, but it's what Jesus is saying. This is, this is what happens when you live independently of a holy God who is perfect in all of his ways. He cannot leave sin unpunished. It's what it means to be a perfect God of justice, that wrongdoing is dealt with perfectly and in the right way. And we see that Jesus is teaching that, that someone that lives independently of him is saying, you know, is saying essentially, I've got this on my own thanks. I, I, I don't need you. I'll do it my own way. And of course, there are echoes, aren't there, all the way through, right from the beginning of the Bible with Adam and Eve, who, despite what God had made for them to enjoy, they choose to go their own way. They disobey God. And, and at that moment, sin entered the human heart. And it's not just characters in the Bible that have to deal with sin, but each of us as well. We choose our own way. We often try and live independently of God. And, and so this teaching from Jesus stands as a real warning to us of what can happen when we choose to live for ourselves and not for him. I mentioned Judas earlier. 
Because it struck me that when you read the chapters before chapter 15, this is essentially what they had just witnessed. They had just seen one of their friends who had who'd seen all these miracles and teachings of Jesus, Judas, who had seen it all. And yet sin had still gripped his heart. That selfishness and greed had gripped him to the point of giving up the Messiah, the Son of God, to the authorities. You say, how could that possibly happen? And I think the best answer is that I've got is that he wasn't truly connected. He wasn't in that dynamic relation. We don't know lots of what Judas was like. We don't have the full story there. But at the end of chapter 13, like I said, he, he then went out. I think John is really clear and, and specific about the language. He went out. It's the same kind of thing of being cut off. And so Jesus didn't just say some things, but he actually followed through with it. And the disciples are listening. And it, that is what, that's, he didn't just slip out the door, Judas. That would have been a mic drop moment where they would have re- recognized what Jesus was teaching here. And so to live independently of Jesus will, will not lead to any fruit or flourishing at all, but rather fruitful, fruitlessness, decay, and ultimately death. And so what is Jesus' alternative? Well, he says if you want to live a fruitful life, if you want to live a life of meaning and purpose, then it is to live in full and absolute dependence on him. If you look at verses 4 to 6 with me, Jesus says this, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And then just if it, if it wasn't clear enough, if, if he couldn't hammer home the point anymore about independence and dependence and living in him or not, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And, and this word abide, some of your translations might have remain. You might have noticed that there's a, there's a difference in the word there, remain. But I don't think remain really, remain in me, it doesn't really get to the heart of what Jesus is teaching. Because you can, you can remain somewhere, but you don't actually make it your home. And so Jesus is saying, abide in me, make your abode with me. Don't just be like a, a hotel guest who stays one night and then off you go. No, make your home in me. And then this extraordinary thing where Jesus says, and I will make my home in you. So he doesn't just give this all this challenging teaching about you know, following my commands. And if you don't do that, you're cut off. And, and I said, no, the promise is, is that if you choose to make your home in Christ... He will bring his presence and place it in your heart. That Your heart is now the, the dwelling place of his Holy Spirit. And so if you want to live a life that produces fruit, that has meaning and purpose and won't end in decay or death, then it is to live in absolute dependence on Jesus. And he says you won't bear any fruit otherwise. 
You won't experience any lasting life unless you abide in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I was trying to think of moments where I have felt completely out of control and independent of someone else. And uh, last night we had uh, a quiz and we, uh, it was a really fun time and we had a paper aeroplane competition. And one of the teams had an actual, well, they had a pilot and an aircraft engineer um, and they still didn't win. <laughs> Uh, the paper airplane. But I was thinking, you know, the last time where you, the, the time that I regularly, well, not so regularly, because I don't fly on planes that often, but it is that moment where you're on a plane and you think, my I feel like my life in someone else's hands. It feels different to a car because you can, you kind of understand how cars work. I've got no understanding of how a plane works. And she's so just in that moment and it's like, my life is in the hands of the pilot. And, but you're living in independent, you're living in total dependence, aren't you, on this vessel to fly through the air and that at least someone should hopefully know what they're doing. You've got no control. And, and Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. The, 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 the life of a disciple is to fully put your dependence on him. And that, that kind of lifestyle is not only striking in our culture because our culture says independence is the sign of a successful life. If you are independent, we, we try and raise our kids, don't we, so that they will become independent. It's a measure of maturity and success. But I guarantee you, if you go out onto the streets of Britain and ask, what, what's a measure of success? And people, people are not going to say, living fully dependent on someone else i.e. Jesus. That, 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 that's not going to get a crowd-pleasing response. But perhaps closer to home, how much do we really live fully dependent on Jesus for those who do know him? And as, as I reflect, I, I think, gosh, there are so many times where I feel exhausted, hung out to dry, not sure what to do next, making a series of terrible decisions and mistakes. I think it's because I'm trying to do things in my own strength. I'm trying to do things my way. I'm trying to live independently of God rather than abiding in the vine. We often think, I can achieve these things. I, I've got the gifts and I can, I can do these things. But Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And that kind of sentence cuts through society. It cuts through the self-made 10 steps to success. It, it cuts into our own heart when we realize I've been trying to live independently and do things in my own strength. Jesus says, anything you attempt on your own, it might bring short-term success or fulfillment but it it won't last it's like you know a phone that needs charging you use your phone eventually it's going to die and then it's completely it doesn't matter how nice your phone is you've got to charge it and it and, and but jesus takes that analogy further and says it needs to be it, it needs to be in the charger all the time for it to function properly 
dependence on him. And so what does, what does this all mean? Well, it means that actually Jesus is then really honest, really honest about the human condition. <laughs> just, just think about listening to the teaching of Jesus. And Jesus is saying, to be honest, lads, that you can't do anything. There, there is nothing that you can't do, that you can do. See, there you go, useless. And so he's very honest about our state as human beings. That we are, in fact, if you just take a branch, it, it can't produce fruit on it, so no matter how hard it tries. And we are, in fact, riddled with weakness and vulnerabilities and flaws and failings. And Jesus is really honest about those things, and yet it's absolutely clear that when we come to him in our weakness and in our ability to do anything on our own and place our absolute trust on him and dependence on him, we will bear fruit. Jesus is saying, do you know what, you guys are so obsessed with what fruit that you're going to produce. And, and we are, aren't we? we? We all compare one another about how good this person is, what this person is able to do. And Jesus, just don't worry about the fruit. Worry about whether you are connected to me or not. And the fruit just come. That's how a, that's how a vine works. The branch isn't trying to compete with the other branch and say, I want to produce better fruit than that branch. No, it's just connected and the fruit just come. And so Jesus is saying, I, I know what you're like. I know that you're a branch and you need to be connected to me. And, and you're to come in your weakness so that my life and power would flow through you. And I think as, we, as you take that train of thought, you begin to understand a bit of what the Apostle Paul said about himself, who... You know, we, we hold up as a kind of champion of the faith who did extraordinary things. And yet, what did he say? He said about Jesus saying to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I mean, that, that is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. To come to him in our weakness, because it's then his power that is made perfect in that context. And friends, that, that really is the heart of the gospel. I speak to so many people who say, oh, I, Jesus wouldn't want me because he, 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 he wouldn't receive me because of what I've done. Or I feel like I've got to clean myself up. Or I'm just not worthy to even step foot in a church building. And Jesus says, no, that's exactly who needs to come to me. That's exactly who I want to spend time with. That's exactly the people who I want to live in. In fact, Jesus has really no time for anyone who says, I've got it all sorted. Have you seen the fruits that I've produced? He's got no time for it. He says, come to me in your weakness. In fact, that is, that's actually the qualification for fruitfulness. Weakness is the qualification for fruitfulness. Not strength, not power. You think about all the people in the Bible, all the people that you would that we often talk about who have done incredible things for God, there was really nothing amazing about them. 
but they just came to the Lord Jesus and said, Lord, would you use my weakness? And extraordinary fruit has come. We so often want to cover up our flaws and our failings. In our conversations, we, when we do have the opportunity to share a weakness, we tend to give the best of our worst, don't we? We don't really lay it out there. We, we kind of pick the thing that's not too offensive for that person to know about you. We cover those things up, but a mark of a true disciple is to come to Jesus in your weakness, to place your absolute dependence on him. And in that place of humble faith, God says, I will bring about fruit in your life. You don't have to try harder. You don't have to discover the latest Christian hack, as Ash talked about last week. You just come to me as you are. That's what I want. In fact, all he wants is a relationship with you, to abide in him. That's, that's what a home is for, isn't it? For building relationships. And, and Jesus says, I, I want you to make your home in me and I in you. If you look at verses 7 and 8, he says that what happens when you do. When you do choose to make your home in him, it says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That doesn't mean that you get the Christmas list out. You know, here's, here's my requests for you, Jesus. He's saying, if, if you truly abide in him, then you, would, you will know the will of the Father. You will know my word and you will know what to pray for. And then he says in verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And so abiding in Christ looks like coming to Jesus in our weakness, making your home with him. In fact, it, it also means being made clean by his word. That, that's what it means to be a disciple. In verse 3, he says, you are already made clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Notice how Jesus brings that right to the top. He says, you're already clean. We so often get it the wrong way around that somehow we've got to clean ourselves up for Jesus. And Jesus says, no, you are already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. And because of that, now live in the light of it. And so to abide in him is to be cleaned by his word, joined to him, making your home in him and he in us. And it looks like expressing absolute dependence on him for everything. And so I wonder, not just for ourselves, if, if each of us, the impact that that would have both on us as a community and in the city as well, if, if each of us heard the words of Jesus and, sa and said, yeah, I, I want to make my home in you, Lord. And I, I recognize my failings and my flaws and my weaknesses. And I, I want to abide in you. Not only do you change, but it's be it begins to change how we interact and how we operate as a community. Because the next few verses all talk about how you love one another. And we don't have time for that. But if you follow it on, it's like, this is how the world will know that you are my disciples, by loving one another. It changes. 
who we are as a church. And it says the world will know that abiding in Christ isn't just this standstill, neutral place, but it's missional. Because people go, how, how, how can you love like this? And care like this? All the fruits of the Spirit that Paul describes in Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. The world sees it and begins to ask questions because it isn't happening in the world, is it? It's just a sledging match out there. And so as I finish, I want to just invite you to just consider your own life for a moment and whether you are truly abiding in the vine that is Jesus or not. Perhaps like Els said, actually you wouldn't say you're a follower of Jesus right now. Or perhaps you were once had some kind of loose association or affinity, but you, it's been a long time since you really have had that dynamic relationship with Jesus. And I want to invite you and encourage you to take that step and say, I want to make my home in Jesus today. And in a few minutes, Elsa's going to lead in a prayer where you can respond today. You might be here and you do feel high and dry and exhausted and just you've been battling and trying. And Jesus, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so you can come to Jesus in your flaws and weaknesses and failings and say, Lord, I don't even have the words to say. But Lord, I do. I want to live dependently on you. I want to make my home in you. I've been treating you like a hotel and not a home. You might be there this morning. So I'm just going to invite us to stand and the bands are going to come back up. But this next kind of half an hour is, is an opportunity for you to come to the vine, to come to the one who lived a perfect life in your place, who died on the cross for your sin weakness, fragility, and to say, Lord, I give you my life back. I, w- I want to return to you. I recognize that I've, I've been far from you, or there's been this area of my life that I just haven't submitted to you. Lord, would you bring me home today? Let me pray, and then we're going to sing. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word to us. And as well as the sharpness with which it comes often, Lord, we thank you that that is for our good because we so often live comfortably. And sometimes we just need those honest words, apart from me, you can do nothing. So come to me now. And so Lord, I want to pray whether we have never truly made our home with you before or perhaps we've been kind of in and out or even we feel like we've been pruned and cut back which is painful Lord I want to pray Lord that we as people and as your people would live in full dependence on you Lord I want to pray that we would really know your spirit in our lives 
that your presence would dwell in us, that we would be people of the presence of God wherever we go, that it would be for your glory's sake, that people would stand up and notice and ask questions about what is, what is with you <laughs> because of the fruits of the Spirit that are coming through us. Lord, I want to pray, would we be a church that remains in you? In Jesus' name, amen.